Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Nick, welcome to the show. So, Nick, you have recently changed roles and you're doing some amazing stuff right now. Please reintroduce yourself because I'm very excited to hear what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Nick. Um, so I recently went out on my own um, unofficially in June, officially in August of this past year. And so my co-founder and I, Mark Killens, he was at HubSpot for nine years. He was at Drift. We've seen some amazing stuff. We're both from the Boston area. So we started a media and marketing services company. And so it's called TAC, T-A-C-K, has to do with sailing. And when you sail, you tack by taking turns with the sail. That's the whole thing. We chart your ocean and kind of like your path to get you to a better people first go to market. And so we align everything around a people first go to market using seven different go to market strategies ultimately. And so there's three core pillars of the business. It's a media component. Think about it as like we're bringing creators on board to really partner and bring episodic type of content to life. That is launching in October, by the way. We have the membership component, which is Club PF. That's actually been around the longest since I believe April. We have about 135 members in there right now, all about people first, go to market. And then we have the marketing services component. So we have seven clients right now. We're bringing on three more this week. And fortunately, we have a pretty big pipeline, so... This is amazing. I'm not in doubt that you do. Knowing your personal brand, how you grew, I almost felt like I watched you from the middle of your journey when you totally get, got off with all of your followers. It's amazing how much value already brought to the community. I'm not in doubt that it's going to go fast. I'm just interested to see how fast <laughs> it's going to be fun. All right, um, Nick, so we're going to talk about go-to-market, but more like go-to-network. This is something that I hear more and more people talking about and connecting with. You build your community and all that you've got right now from the people perspective, from building up your brand here on LinkedIn where everybody's following you and all the people that are cheering you right here, right now in the comments, including Drew, we see you, is because of what you build. Let's talk a little bit about the content the way you think about the genuine content, how did you build it off and how are you planning to use it for the future that you're building of your company tag? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. So I've been creating content now since it was March of 2020 because I remember, and I've told the story a few times, but Kyle Coleman, who is now the CMO at Clary, shout out to Kyle. He was actually my boss when I was at Clary with him. So I was leading the field marketing team. He at the time was leading the SDR and growth team. And so we were in Laguna Beach, California, and we were there for our revenue kickoff. Revenue, not sales kickoff. We brought the revenue team together. And um, he was like, hey, you should start talking about field marketing on LinkedIn. He's like, no one talks about it. At the time, you know, 650 million users. There was such a misconception of what field marketing was. Oh, you're just another event planner. Yeah. No, like, especially with enterprise reps, like they thought you were basically their event assistant. And it was like so much more. And so I wanted to kind of charter in like field marketing 2.0 of like being a true asset 
to the sales team and to the CS team and to understand that like, hey, this is really all about being a trusted partner about the revenue at the end of the day. It's not just going and planning events. Events is one part of it. But to be a field marketer in today's world, you have to be a full stack marketer. You have to understand every single piece of marketing, but also be able to collaborate and work cross-functionally with sales, with finance, with CS, with product, with all of these other different departments because, and I'm a big football person. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, sorry for those Jets fans that lost Aaron Rodgers last night. Pats, I'm a big Patriots fan. So, you know, hey, big win for us. Hopefully we'll do a little bit better now. But when I think of Tom Brady and, and Tom Brady was just at the Pats game on Sunday and like, you know, did his whole speech and like, he's the greatest of all time. And as the Tom Brady of the team, you are like the field marketer. And so you're the one that's calling the plays. You're the one that's like saying like, hey, this is the strategy of how we're going to get from here to here. And you're working with your running backs, your wide receivers, your tight ends, your offensive line. And ideally, the goal is to score a touchdown, which is revenue at the end of the day. And it's like, but you are the quarterback. And it's like, you're the one that's pulling the strings. You're the one that's calling those plays. And like, that was everything that I tried to like do and come across from like a field marketing perspective. And it worked really well. And I kind of never looked back. I started talking about comp-based marketing, customer marketing, the creator economy, evangelism. I feel like I'm at a point now where I can talk about whatever. I feel like, you know, people follow me now for like the content that that I create because of who I am as an individual and for doing this for now almost four years. That's how I found you. And that's why I know that your success is going to be directly attributable to the content that you have been creating as well. And if we're talking about the content that people are creating, are there any typical mistakes that you see companies do when creating content and like, yeah, what, let me not put words into your mouth. What are the mistakes that companies usually do when they want to start with genuine content? They don't empower their employees to create content for what they like, what they want to talk about. So ideally, like you need to develop your story and your point of view. What do you believe in and why you have to stand for something? You have to, and I used to run a podcast a, a while ago that I ended called Rep Your Brand. And it was all about like personal branding. And I would bring on all these incredible people. And I remember bringing on Gatano, who's a friend of mine. And he's, you know, people like definitely love him. SEO expert, like crushes it. And like the one thing that he always said to me is like, listen, like I might come across as rough in, in some cases and like not being afraid to push the envelope. But he's like, you have to stand for something. And that's the way that you're going to stand out. Because if you think about it, LinkedIn now has almost a billion active users. It's crazy how much is on there. And like the amount of people that create content is up to about 4% or so. So you don't want to get lost in the shuffle of all these people that are creating content. If you're going to talk about demand gen, for example, join the other thousands of people that talk about demand gen. What's your, what's your point of view on demand gen? That's a little bit different. And I feel like Mark and I, we have this whole people first and like, yeah, people understand what a people first mentality actually is, but how do you actually get started? And it's like, all right, cool. We've laid out not only like people first go to market principles, 
we've laid out the exact playbook, which we actually give away for free. Like if you want, like it's a 35 page workbook. If you want to get started, like, cool, go, go download it, like go to town. And like, we lay out exactly how to get going on like this whole shift from like a company first go to market to a people first go to market. Love that. And this is also how DreamVita grew their following as well. The other day, we were having a look at like, let's compare the profiles versus the company profile as well. So nobody wants to actually follow the company. Like that would be weird to go and ask Dream Data say, oh, so how do you actually attribute the, I don't know, the keywords to specific call to action, whatever. Nobody would ask that, but people wouldn't have a problem asking that me or Stefan or somebody else. And when you compare our following, I've got like 20 something, Stefan has 15 something and Dream Data has seven. It's exactly the same. And you don't need all of these followers. Like, I feel like there's been such a thing where people think that you need like a hundred thousand followers to be relevant in today's world. You just have to, again, stand for something, develop your story, your point of view, your talking pillars, like Ideally, we're out here to hopefully provide value to other people through our own experiences. That was always something that I wanted to do, like talking about different types of projects I was working on or campaigns, successes, failures, like all the things that you're seeing helps other people, even if they don't engage with your stuff. Like I can tell you, there's so many lurkers out there that like are consuming and they may reach out to you in a, in a DM or something, but like there is a lot of people that are consuming out there that you'll never know who they are, but they're consuming the people. They're not consuming the company content. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, Hey, not go create, you know, LinkedIn page content. Because for example, I have the club PF LinkedIn page and I have the TAC LinkedIn page and like. I post once per day on there, like just kind of like trying to add some free value, nothing crazy. But, you know, in about a month, I've got almost a thousand followers on that page. And so people are definitely still checking. It's not as much as like an individual would get, but like, hey, it's another distribution channel for me. Absolutely. And you're saying once a day as if it was something very small, but it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Though uh, we've got a question on the chat saying that when, Nick, where can I find the people first go to market guide you mentioned? Yeah, head over to tacgtm.com and it's it's at the very top. It's just we we do we do gate it and require your email. Just it just helps us figure out like, hey, like we're not gonna follow up with you. We have an we have an email database. We don't even email the people in there. Um, because we're still like, we're literally so swamped with stuff that like, we're just never get to it, but it's 35 pages of ideas, frameworks, and examples to help you get started. It's on, it's on the homepage. That's very clever. I want to see what you build as well. I'm going to give you my email and you don't <laughs> have to cover that over either. It's like, it's very normal. It's like, oh, people say you shouldn't gate stuff, but you created quality and it's all right for you to know who reads your quality for you to be able to later figure out, okay, did, did they become clients later and so on. So not that you, well, one day you'll have salespeople, not yet to follow through with that yeah, as well. I, I, I am the salesperson now. <laughs> A marketer salesperson, that's cool. And as Drew is saying, like, just like anything else, it's about the quality of your followers as well, not about like just what you're posting and who's following you as well. And you're 
pure example of that too, Drew. Everybody should go follow Drew Brooker as well. He's posting very niche stuff about AI pictures, mind journey, and so on. You find your vibe as well, just like you, Nick. And later when you grow out of that, then people take you for you and the content that you create. I love that. Yeah. Plus one, Drew is awesome. I talk to Drew a lot. We also have twins, which is what we originally bonded over as well. So there's so many people with twins. Our CTO has twins as well. <laughs> this is the time when everybody's having twins. All right. We move over to talking about community and creators. What mm. we're having right here is a community as well. People following you is a community too. But how do you look in like growth through communities and through creators? Walk me through your thought process over here. Yeah. So it, it's kind of interesting. So we're actually building uh, like... We build a lot of maturity models. Uh, Mark was responsible for building the maturity model for Drift. He built HubSpot Academy. So like he's also, he built Drift Insider. So like he, he's a big fan of community led. I'm a big fan of community led. And so we've actually mapped it out into three different stages for right now. So like stage one, when you think of like community and community can mean a lot of things to you. The, the outcome of stage one is followers and engagement. How do you listen and engage in places where your buyers and customers are participating? So LinkedIn, obviously for B2B, I've always been in MarTech or sales tech. That's where the majority of my buyers and customers are. If you're in like IT or sell to developers or something, maybe it's Reddit, which is a hugely underrated uh, place to actually go connect with those people or like Quora or something like that. Ideally, you want to add unique perspectives and value to the conversation and you're doing it from the voice of a person, not a brand, which is why like this whole thing makes sense. And like Slack communities have popped up all over the place. I feel like the pandemic has accelerated communities popping up. You have, I mean, I can't even tell you how many Slack communities I'm in. I've tried to actually remove some of them because I'm in like Slack communities. I'm in Discord communities. I was in a Facebook group, which I don't even use Facebook, but like to get into exit five at the time before he moved, I was in Facebook. Uh, Mighty Networks is another one where I'm in peak and then that's where we run Club PF. So again, like that's stage one. Stage two is about how do you partner with people and brands and places and communities to increase engagement. So you want to be intentional about sharing valuable things that people turn attention into interest. So the outcome here is again, engagement, but also leads. Stage three is you have to establish a set of rituals and you want to continually engage in the right places with the right offers. This basically designs a model that measures and predicts engagement and leads over time. So like, again, you can run this this whole three-stage approach across any type of thing that you consider a community. And again, I consider LinkedIn a community, so. Very interesting. And the part that you're mentioning about rituals and doing things over again, is that where you can start measuring what the community means for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's establishing like rituals is is definitely important and like, there's a lot of rituals you can do to determine like what that means to you. Like Mark and I, like between the two of us, we have about seven or eight right now. And it's things that like, 
we write down, it was like, hey, you know, we have a belief system of like this whole people first. But then we also have like rituals as far as like one-on-ones because that's considered a ritual, like how we measure KPIs, OKRs, things like that. We use this thing called a V2 mom. And so basically it's a month over month, you know, check in on like how you're kind of comparing across all of your KPIs and metrics. And so we have it from like a high level, but then we break it down for each part of the business that we really want to dig a little deeper into. And it's so easy to follow then and to know how you're proceeding. And if you're making any different impact on the different measures that you're doing. I love that. Very, very cool. The next thing that we put on the agenda is to talk about the raise of try and buy software easy. Walk me through. What is that? Well, I mean, it's still crazy to me that like, it's 2023, almost 2024. And like companies, B2B companies still don't have transparent price on their website. Like I can't tell you as someone that has bought technology and that actually I just bought a SaaS purchase like two weeks ago, but like I've been buying technology now for six years or so um, across various different companies. And like, you'd be surprised at how many companies don't put pricing on their website. And it drives me crazy because not only do you have to go submit a demo request, hope someone gets back to you. Because again, it's mind blowing that you can't just like schedule a calendar invite with like, uh, ideally an AE, because if I'm looking for something, I don't need to talk to an SDR. Like I'm already qualifying myself. I want to one, see pricing to see a demo. I don't need to sit on an, a one hour qualification call just for you to tell me that I have to sit on two more calls before I get pricing in a demo. Like, I just think that like B2B companies have this so wrong in how they lead sales and not every company has this issue. And a lot of companies do this right. But like, I can't tell me, tell you how many times I've sat on calls where it's like, I didn't see a demo until two or three calls in. And it's like, at that point, I'm just like, listen, I'm so over it because I'm already in enough calls as is like, I just don't want to go do that and like sit through more. But the way that I buy is like, I don't even, so say, say I need some type of software purchase. I'm not going to go look for what all the different options are. I'm going to go back to community and I'm going to say, Hey, these, you know, I'm looking to do, let's just use direct mail. Cause I worked for Alice for a little bit. I'm looking to do direct mail and gifting. Who do you use and who would you recommend? And I would make a short list of say two or three companies. Once I get those, that list, I'm going to go to their website. I'm going to check pricing. If they don't have pricing on their website, I'm going to move on to something else because I don't have time to waste. And if they do have pricing, I'm going to be like, all right, cool. Can I schedule a demo right then and there that I don't have to sit on a qualification call? Because ideally, if you want to qualify me, cool. Send me an email, ask me a couple questions. I'll reply to you. I'll give you everything that you need to know over email. Like I don't need to sit on a a 30 minute to a one hour call. And then hopefully I can see a demo on like the first call and I'm going to back channel and I'm going to basically figure out what is the, the, what makes the most sense for my business. Do you think that this might be to do that marketers are over bombarded with software. If you were a developer or software architect, would you buy differently? 
I think so. So I, I, I did marketing for a little bit to developers. And one, I realized very quickly that I hated it because like they hate talking to marketing. They yeah. hate talking to sales. Like they're very much like they love white papers. They love like yeah. the data behind it. And like, that's how they buy. They don't want to talk to you. But I feel like going back to like, you know, marketers and like salespeople, I feel like, you know, everyone thinks you need technology to, to solve an issue. And like use ABM for an example, like people think to get started with ABM, you have to have, you know, intent data and like all these tools. And like, listen, I've, I've bought intent platforms before I get it, but like to get started, you need the strategy before you need the technology. Yeah, you can do so much. I mean, sales has been doing ABM for so long time without the tools. Yep. You can still do it as a marketer as well. But I was, I had the exact same chat today with a sales leader about like when to do discovery, do you do a discovery and demo on the same call and so on. And there are mixed messages of what people are expecting, both expecting to have, but also expect like available to deliver. Some of the people now just show me the demo. Okay, this is going to be a crazy direct demo that will make no sense for you. So that's fine with you. We go, we roll. But there are other people like if you talk more with finance, they're very interested to open up for you. What is it that they're looking for? Why they're looking for it and so on. And it could take another call to go on a specific demo because they want that to be very, very much on point. For marketers, no. Be brief, be gone. <laughs> I'll tell exactly. you everything I need. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, so I'm a huge fan of interactive demos where like, listen, and, and I've used, I've rolled out this now at a, a bunch of companies, but like, basically, you know, if I can build a, say, 10 minute tour for you to go through at your own pace, for you to then share with the others in the buying committee, like I, I was using that between qualification and discovery, nice. because what, what I, what I realized was after the qualification, we would jump in and see a high level demo. And we would just kind of answer some questions around budget, things like that. They would then share that link because I could see who they shared it with. They would share it with like a bunch of others in the buying committee. And like for when you're selling to marketers, there's usually not many people like IT. There could be a ton of people. But like in my past, it's always been like between two and three people that are in the buying committee. Nothing too crazy. But they would send this out. And it was an ungated version to basically play around with the product so that they could kind of, you know, get more familiar with it. And then we could dive into a demo deeper around a specific use case after they saw that. Yeah. So that was one really awesome use case. The other was we would basically put that tour on our website. I've gated it and I've ungated it. And um, we use that as a way to drive inbound because, again, people can see how integrations work. People can see how the product works. So it's like, I don't have to talk to a salesperson or an SDR or BDR. I can go play with the product, figure out if it's going to work in my environment based on like what I want for the outcomes from it. And then I'm going to contact you because I already know that like, hey, this is something that's going to work. Really, really cool. Definitely. And so much easier to serve the buyers rather than for them to try to figure out how you want to sell to them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So another pet peeve for not enough people focused stuff is online events. We've been through COVID, all of us. There have been so many fun events and happy hours and whatnot, and a lot of webinars. <laughs> so let's have a chat about online events that 
you find interactive and fun so people can learn of how to create better events? Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone wants to do webinars. And I, trust me, I've done thousands of events, both in person and virtual. And I feel like event-led growth, you know, funny enough, Mark and I, it was, he actually coined it before I even got there. But like when we were at AirMeet, which was our last company, which was a virtual webinar platform, we figured like, hey, people join events because they want the experience to be about them. Like the, and when you think about like the tenets for that, like to make event-led growth actually work, you need participation, you need networking, you need content, and you need it to be live, ideally. And like we saw, and trust me, we had a lot of customers. We both have done lots and lots of events. To have successful events in today's world, you really need those four things to be able to be successful. Now you could run this over conferences, you could run it over webinars, VIP events, like you could still get a small group of people together and have that participation in networking. But who is the content serving? Is it serving your company? Because trust me, I've been to a lot of events where the company is self-serving and it's all about the company. But take this for example, you know, you're from Dream Data, Awesome. I see dream data on the screen, but the content isn't self-serving to dream data. The content is self-serving to no one because ideally it's more about the participation, the networking, we're doing it live. Hopefully we're creating value for the people that are listening through what you and I are talking about, as well as everyone else that's commenting on the, uh, the section here and asking questions. So okay. event led growth, it's the now it's the future. But you have to have those four things in my mind to make it successful. Absolutely. And have you seen any successful events that were like of longer term where they nailed some networking in it and content is good? So it's not just one to many conversation. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of like breakout room type things, especially in a virtual component. I feel like uh, round tables. Like if you want to do a smaller like VIP event and I've done a bunch of these like early on when like back when like COVID was like, you know, back with like 2020 and like I would grab 15 to 20 target accounts because we were doing ABM and we would do these round tables on a, a weekly basis and it wouldn't be anything about the company. We would just be there to kind of like moderate the discussion, but we would just have a discussion around different types of topics where we wouldn't record it. That was another thing. Like, right. don't record that because then people are going to be like, uh, you know, I don't want, I don't want to really let loose because this recording could end up in a lot of different places. But like those, some of those conversations were the best conversations that like you uncovered, like some like crazy stuff from, but it, only the people in that room will ever know like what was talked about. Yeah. I think it's very important. And at the same time, you just, tell your brain that this is not recorded, I will not be able to rewatch it either. Yep. So exactly. <laughs> like you think of, do you want to repurpose this or do you want people to be just present? And if it is a VIP event, that's, that's big on having people being present. Yep. That's really cool. And now the final topic of people focused go to market strategy, membership hub. You'll have to walk me through what that is. I have no understanding. So when you think about like member led growth, 
so this is like basically club PF for us. And so it's like a paid community to a certain degree. And like, if you're going back to kind of like the, I guess the start of this, ideally you create demand with community led growth. You capture demand with member led growth, and then you convert that demand with customer led growth. So each channel can be activated using a combination of content led, event led, product led growth strategies. But the goal is to use content events and products that are created to target, engage and convert the right ICP and personas. But the most important part of the model is partner led growth, the partner ecosystem, each go to market motion should be designed with in partnership with employees, customers, and people in your industry. So like when we thought about like this whole member led kind of aspect of it, we were like, all right, cool. We want to do this thing called club PF. And it was like, you know, again, we didn't want to call it a community because everyone's calling their stuff community. It was like, no one's calling their stuff club. But if you see now we've started a trend because I've seen two or three others now pop up that's using club at the beginning of it, which I thought was very interesting, but member led growth, it really comes down to three things. So members, member engagement and pipeline new and expansion. And so the tenants for that is really kind of like going back to like the event like growth piece. It's like first party data, like think about how much you actually get from that personalized experiences through this experience that they're in tailored benefits. Yeah. Are they paying for something? Absolutely. But when I can say Mark and myself, you know, we have 25 years of experience doing this at a variety of companies like HubSpot, Drift, Clary, Alice, all these other companies. And there's a value add there. People are more interested in that. How do you differentiate? And then the consistency piece. So for example, with club PF, like we run a weekly masterclass. We've run a weekly masterclass for since April, basically. Then we run one bigger event each month. And so those masterclasses, I, I talk to probably three to five members a week. And they say those masterclasses are the biggest value add. Wow. where we t we basically say like we have someone come in and they talk about one of the seven go to market kind of like strategies basically and then they have an hour to basically talk about whatever it is that they want around say like ABM or community or whatever it is but people find the biggest value in those because it's consistent it's a little bit different there's a value add there and it's a personalized experience and between that and Mark has done a go to market tip every single day for like 60 days now where he writes one go-to-market tip. No one outside of club PF actually sees it. And it's usually something that's like very tactical uh. and people love that. And, um, it's an owned community to a certain degree, there's special access, this perks programs, learning, and we've done really, really well with it. Like I said, there's 130 something members right now. We have a social membership, which is like $15 a month. So again, cheaper than a Netflix subscription or 150 bucks for the year, which again, isn't bad. Then we have a VIP membership, which is 2250 for the year. Again, cheaper than you pay a consultant for how much access you'd have to both Mark and I. And then we're actually going to be, no one knows this yet, but we're going to be introducing a free tier that's going to be coming out pretty soon. I'm trying to figure out how it differentiates because we want to get more people in there, which inc mm -hmm. increases the number of members. And then hopefully that engagement goes up, which converts to more paid members. So they'll only get to a limited portion of the, I guess, whole experience, but it will allow more people to experience that. 
versus us trying to convert, which everything has been, you know, organic inbound so far. We haven't run any like paid ads, although I'm very tempted to do it soon just to kind of see like, hey, will that actually make a difference? And so I've, tr I've, I've basically clipped up all of these uh, masterclasses. And so I've done two to three clips per masterclass. And I've been using those now from like a repurposing kind of thing, just so people can get an experience of like yeah. what this experience would be for them. I think a sneak peek of that is very, very good idea. Now you're mentioning, oh, Mark's go-to-market tip of the day. Yeah. Well, if people would know that it was, it is there and they can expect to get it, but they don't have access to it unless they go for it, then that kind of, that kept secret is going to uncover it for them. Exactly. I'd, I'd subscribe for Mark's tip of the day. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned, I learn a lot. Like, trust me. I mean, just he was, he was at HubSpot when like they were a $15 million a year business wow. and he left when they were $600 million wow. a year business over like the nine years that he was there. And like between like building HubSpot Academy and like just everything that he's talked about, like what that actually looks like and like what HubSpot Academy is today and like the certifications and everything to building like Drift Insiders, which again, massive program. And then what we were doing at Airme, we were actually about to launch very something similar to those other two. Our time just got cut a little short, but it's, yeah, I mean, I learned so much from those, those go to market tips and it's again, like I just go back and like, I look at them because like there's so much resources in them uh, each and every time. Absolutely. And what I like about the community that you're building is also, it is very niche, just like the content mm -hmm. to begin with. It's yep. so niche, which means that you're not building for everybody. You're building for the niche of marketers who definitely can pick up each and every tip and use them. Because if they were very general content tips or whatever else stuff you see on LinkedIn, that will not be the same. I love that. All right. Before we wrap this up, Nick, what did we forget to cover today that is very important for your growth? We need all to support you and your growth because you're real thing. I think just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm writing a book right now and this is something I'm, I've been more passionate about lately. I'm writing a book on the creator economy and B2B and like how it impacts marketing because I think creator led growth is the future. Uh, as well. I think we're, you know, if you think of like the chasm of like, all right, crossing the chasm, it's like, we're very much in the early adopter phase right now. I think in MarTech and sales tech, we will see mass adoption in two to three years. Now, outside of those two industries, healthcare, you know, manufacturing, all those things, it might be, you know, another five to seven, eight years away. But at least in MarTech and sales tech, I think two to three years until we see mass adoption of like, Companies want to work with creators and influencers, but don't know how. And a lot of people group those two together. Anyone can be a creator. You create a piece of content. Cool. You're a creator. Like if you do it consistently, not every creator has influence though. And that's like, that's where the two kind of separate a little bit. So like, I never loop those two together. I say like, yo, Hey, you can work with creators. Cause I could work with someone that is, you know, has 500 followers on LinkedIn, but they're a creator. There's someone that like is very niche, maybe that I want to work with, but like they don't have influence, probably not because like they maybe just started out, but it's someone that like, I value what they talk about, but in two to three years, maybe like, you know, Hey, there is some, you know, big time, like hotshot and like they do a lot. So I think it's like understanding that whole piece and 
figuring out like, hey, if you want to get started with like creators or influencers, like I'm actually launching a new podcast, again, something else that no one knows yet. And it's coming out in November. And so it's all about the creator economy. And I'm going to be bringing on actual creators and influencers and basically sh uh, sharing their playbooks. Like, hey, you want to get create, you want to get started being a creator or influencer? Here's like what it looks like. Here's how to monetize it. Here's how to build like contracts for yourself. Um, all these different things. Because again, so many people want to get started, but they don't know how. And people think like a, a, a LinkedIn sponsored, you know, post is the way to go. But it's tying it into your go to market strategy. Like, there's no more. Like, it's it's such people first. That's why, like, I'm super passionate about it too. It's really exciting and so new that nobody's talking enough about that. And everybody, it, it is kind of a secret everybody would like to uncover, but nobody knows. Right. And Christina is asking, are you ending the anonymous marketer? I am ending it. Yeah, I've been, um, I've been asked, not asked, I'm stepping away because I'm building a media network. And so the, the company that handled the anonymous marketer, uh, they actually own the show and all the rights to it. So they're going to be replacing me. No, no, you know, we still like each other, all that good stuff. It just didn't make sense to continue the partnership. So there's going to be a new host that's going to be taking over. She's absolutely wonderful. I know who it is. You'll all be a big fan of who it is. Um, so that show will absolutely continue. And then I'll be launching this new show in November, hopefully November 2nd. Very cool. And there's another question from Ferret as well. What are some of the best practices for adopting people-focused strategies for a product-led growth scale-up? Mm, it's a good question. I think like ease of access, try before buy, no gatekeepers, keep it simple, keep it frictionless, more usage, more value, fast time to value, and data-driven. Like ideally, like when I think of like product-led growth, it's like, product like growth. It's like, you've got the sign up rate, you've got activation, you've got retention. And so like the components of that is like, what is the ease of sign up? And what does the onboarding flows look like? Like, what are the jobs to be done? And going back to like the purchasing, it's like simple purchasing. You want, you want to propose this versus like pressure. And then ultimately it will create this flywheel effect, ideally that, that ties it back into, to those three kind of uh, components of it. Thank you very much. So people are really excited about what you're building. Likewise, I am both about the book and what you're releasing, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.